welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason, as per usual, joined along with Ben Mandel and John Pauline. Got a Mother's Day episode coming at you of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. And these are just flying by halfway into May as it is. And we're starting to get a better picture of how this baseball season's going. We know who some of the good teams are. We know who some of the bad teams are. And it seems like a few of the teams that were kind of middle of the pack to begin with, they're starting to separate one way or the other. Still a lot of questions that need to be answered with a lot of different teams. A lot of good teams from last season are within a couple of games of 500. Houston, the Mets, Yankees, Phillies, Cleveland, Toronto. A lot of these teams that were very good last year. San Diego is another one. And they're just kind of middling right now. And we're going to get into a little bit with a few of those teams, why that is. But let's get into some of the good news that we saw come out of this last week in baseball. And we're going to start off with Cedric Mullins, outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles during uh, Saturday's game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He hit the 12th cycle in Orioles history. His first career cycle, but Cycles are one of those things that they're just awesome to hear about. Single, double, triple, homer. To have all four of those things happen, it's it's great because you have to be on your game. You can't make an out. And if you do, you have to hope that everybody else on your team is hitting around you or else you won't get another at-bat to get that try. So Cedric Mullins with a cycle, just amazing. Really great baseball stuff. That happens two, three times a year, if that, and it's always nice to see it because it's just, it's so exciting to see that, to see them up in their last at bat, knowing what they need and getting it. Just, it's an amazing thing to watch. Last week, we talked about the Cardinals and Wilson Contreras, how they were going to kick him out of being their catcher, even though that's what they signed him to do to be Yadier Molina's replacement. Well, they're kind of backtracking literally a week later they're saying that, you know what, we, we were wrong. We didn't mean what we said. Contreras is going to still catch for us. So this turned out to be just a whole nothing burger. I was questioning the idea behind it last week. I, I wasn't sure because it just seemed like you gave a guy a lot of money and then six weeks into the season to boot him out of being your catcher. I guess when you're as bad as the Cardinals have been, you have to try to figure out anything to create a spark but I just don't know if that's the proper way to go about it. Next up is Yuri Perez, Miami Marlins pitcher. He's going to be the youngest pitcher ever to debut for the Marlins at 20 years old, 27 days, breaking the late great Jose Fernandez's record of 20 years old and 250 days. Jose Fernandez was my favorite pitcher before he tragically passed away in that boating accident. And, you know, it's tough to see his name be brought up. He had some of the most electric stuff I had ever watched a pitcher have. But the Marlins always seem to have a good farm system full of pitchers that kind of come out of nowhere. And maybe Yuri Perez is the next guy, one that will give John and Ben your Phillies and Mets fits for the next couple of years before they, uh, they inevitably trade him because they can't keep anybody. The Marlins always seem to have some pitching prospects coming up the pipeline. Lately, it's been Sandy Alcantara, 
uh, Sixto Sanchez eventually, you know, Pablo Lopez eventually traded. Edward Cabrera. (laughs) I mean, look, the Marlins always have young pitching. It reminds me a lot like the Mets, except uh, this new age Mets doesn't seem to be that way. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really remarkable how well the Marlins do with pitching and how little and how short that lasts because they always seem to move players. They're not ever intent on winning. They want to make a quick turnaround. As soon as they get good, they ship off all their decent players. Zach Greinke, though, he will be the fifth player to ever do, the fifth pitcher to ever do. Zach Greinke, the longtime hurler, now with his second stint in Kansas City. He is the fifth person all time to strike out 1,000 different hitters in his career. Now, I'm going to bring out a question to you guys. Can you guys name the other four pitchers to have struck out 1,000 different batters? And remember, this means that they needed to have longevity because to face 1,000 different batters and strike them out, you need to be around a while. So let's play a little game. Who are the other four? So I I really have to think about this because I have three of them that I confidently know. Give me are... one. Give me one, and then we're going to go to John for one. We'll kind of alternate it that way where you each give one and one and go like that. Just so right. a little fair and give everybody a shot to get it all. Fair enough, fair enough. To start, I will go with Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens is correct. The Rocket did strike out 1,000 different batters. Roger Clemens from George's box. Like, I mean, come on. This one was the easiest one for me. I know. I just knew Roger Clemens had done it. He struck out so many batters over so many years. He had to have done it. John, do you have any guesses? I want to say Nolan Ryan. Absolutely right. Nolan Ryan. Yes, sir, John. Yes, sir. Nolan Ryan. He played, what, like 27 seasons? I'm not sure the exact number, but he definitely played up there. Actually, he came up with the Mets, if I'm not mistaken, before they traded him away. Yes, he did. He was with the 69 Mets. And look, Nolan Ryan, he not only played a lot of seasons, he was the strikeout king. He struck out so many guys. Like, I'd almost be surprised if he actually didn't strike out a thousand different batters. Yeah, I would be too. That's a good guess there, John. Two for two now. We got two more names remaining. Ben, hit me with it. Randy Johnson. Give it to me, Corey. Let's go. Come on. Bird murder himself is correct. Let's go. Three for three here. Randy Johnson, the big unit, definitely struck out 1,000 different batters between his time with the Expos, Diamondbacks, Mariners, Yankees, everywhere. Uh, opposing face no wonder he struck 11 on my 1000 different batters and you know what now he's taking pictures on the sideline of nfl games so hey randy johnson is unbelievable john good luck on this one i think i know who it is but i am not confident on it bring us home john give us that four i I have a good guess here and i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna go with a, a philly steve carlton Oh, uh, no? John, John. That's not, not who I was thinking. Let, let, you know, let's go back to John, though, for one more guess before we throw it to Ben to give it him. Uh, I don't know. I have to – thinking you have to go to Ben. I'm coming up short here on names. I have one in mind, and he played a while. He struck out a lot of guys. And 
I think the important thing to look at here with this question is you uh, 1000 different batters means you had to play in an era where there are a lot of different teams. Now I'm going to go Greg Maddox. I think he, no way. Got it. Let's go. You got it. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, that was that was a shot in the dark. I was either going to go I was going to go Maddox or uh Smoltz and I'm glad I went Maddox. Maddox, Smoltz, somebody on that 90s Braves team had to have been it. Other good guesses oh. I probably could have seen was like a Kurt Schilling, a Mike Mussina, Hall of Fame pitchers and Ben you were in the perfect line of thinking to strike out 1,000 different batters, you had Oof. played in a time with a lot of different teams. And that's what all these pitchers had. They all played in the late 80s through the early 2000s where they were able to face all these different teams. And they were able to face some of them, the max amount of teams we've had. Now, interesting enough, three of these guys, Greg Maddox, Nolan Ryan, and Randy Johnson are Hall of Famers. Well, the Rocket Roger Clements is the only non-Hall of Famer on this list. Zach Grinke, a borderline guy, doesn't have the extreme stats to knock him into the Hall of Fame, but longevity either will work for him or against him. But he's a candidate we're going to look at come the winter when we talk more about the Hall of Fame and talk about what current players can make the Hall of Fame and discuss it that way, but we are a few months away from those shows, but yes, you guys got it. Now, just to go to a little fun little tidbit here, Sedane Raffaella, the Red Sox number two prospect, in his double-A game with the Portland Sea Dogs last night, he stole six bags. To me, that's insane because one, you have to get on at least twice to steal six bags, if not more likely three or four times to be able to have the opportunity to steal that many bases because if you single, you can steal second, third, and home. That's three. But how many times are people stealing home, right? So the fact that you would probably steal second and third, that's only two. So to do that three times over the course of a game, that's pretty wild to me. Well, and to think about it, if you steal your way around the bases to second, third, and then home, there is zero chance they are letting you do that again. I will tell you that right now. The only way you can steal home is if you catch them napping, and there's no way you get caught napping twice with the same guy after he's stolen five bases. So what a job there by this young prospect, definitely making waves. Now, a funny story that I, I want to have a little bit of a discussion on. The Kansas City Royals went up to Milwaukee to play the Brewers. And I'm not sure if you guys know about the hotel that teams tend to stay at when they go to Milwaukee. Some say that it's haunted. I don't believe, I don't know if you guys believe in ghosts or not, but a lot of players swear by it. And Royals first baseman, Vinny Pasquantino, he's uh he's not so much a believer, but he uh he he feels that he uh he doesn't want to take any chances, but he didn't want to miss out on staying in the uh the infamous hotel. So who did he call? His mother. Vinny Pasquantino's mom is a big spooky buff, as he put it. He said that if she could decorate her house for Halloween year round, she would. So he invited her to stay 
at the hotel with him and the team. Now you're not required as a team to stay in the same hotel. When the Dodgers last week came to Milwaukee for a set, Mookie Betts, who has been terrified of ghosts and has experienced that hotel, he rented an Airbnb to stay at. Players will do that, stay at other hotels, find other accommodations. But this is the first time this young Royals crew made it up to Milwaukee, them being in different leagues, AL, NL. And Vinny Pasquantino and his mom stayed in the same hotel. And he said that she was messing with him the whole time. He, she wanted to go out exploring, walk by some of the creepier paintings. She would joke with him, oh, maybe they're going to get us. They're going to jump out of the, the painting and get us. She was loving it up. And you know what? He said it worked out well that it was Mother's Day, that he was able to spend the time with her because she was the one who went with him during Little League and All-Stars in high school traveling with him. Not his dad, but it was his mom that did those road trips with him. So he said it was nice to spend Mother's Day with her, do something that she really enjoyed, which is all the haunted, spooky, scary stuff. But uh, do you guys believe in ghosts? Do you believe this hotel is haunted? And how do you think uh, Pasquantino handled it, uh, getting scared by his mom and having his mommy protect him? Not that I'm mocking him. I think it is a great thing that he was able to spend time with her and do that. Yeah, I think, look, it's it's a funny little gag to – it's a gag excuse to spend Mother's Day weekend with your mom. How many times as a professional baseball player do you get the opportunity to do things like this? Uh, in terms of the hotel being haunted, the only thing I know about it uh, is what the Mets fans hear on the Mets broadcast. And the broadcasters certainly talk about it being haunted – uh, Steve Gelbs has referenced it being haunted a few times. You know, I know Gary Cohen likes to joke and poke fun at it, but uh, they have told some stories. I know he said he hasn't seen anything personally, but a few guys on the broadcast have. So I'll take their word for it. This many people can't be wrong, right? I don't know. I mean, you. I think you're, you're never too old for your mom. And I think, you know, bringing her you know to the hotel and stuff with you know something that she likes all the spooky stuff i think's a great you know it's just great it's a good story major league baseball player got to bring your mom on the road with you got to spend mother's day with her you know got to explore the haunted hotel so i mean i think it's great it's funny it's kind of a you know a little bit of a distraction of maybe you know all the bad stuff going on you hear in the news lately so i think it's good now at the hotel being haunted and stuff i mean if there i mean if there's that many players you know claiming it's haunted i mean i think there might be something going on there might be some truth to it you know can't count anything off i mean you can't disprove you can't prove it so yeah overall it's a really nice feel-good story glad he was able to do that with his mom she was watching uh ghost adventures and any type of horror movie the conjuring type stuff in the hotel room he had to rest up for the games obviously but she was exploring and he said that she's had a ball with it and that's just good to hear. Now let's go on to the Seattle Mariners starting pitcher, rookie Bryce Miller. In his first three career starts, he's allowed one runner less, three hitter fewer, and one walker fewer. Only one player has ever done that, and that's Bryce Miller. It's pretty incredible. Now it's early. It's three starts. He's only pitched 19 innings. But in those 19 innings, he's got a .47 ERA. 
a .42 whip in 18 strikeouts in 19 innings. That's pretty good. That's a very good start to a career. And that's why he is my stud of the week. We're going to go into some studs and duds. For me, again, that stud, Bryce Miller. This last week, 13 innings pitched, a 2-0 record. He's given up only five hits, eight strikeouts, one walk. And again, he has that .47 ERA, which is incredible. I'm excited to see what's going on with him because the Mariners have a really good core of pitchers. You got Luis Castillo on the older end, but to have George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller, among others, is just incredible. My dud, Ryan Feltner, starting pitcher from the Rockies. In five innings, he went 0-1, gave up eight hits, eight earned runs, 10 walks, three strikeouts, plus a fractured skull because Nick Castellanos had a line drive off his head, knocked him out of the game, and he's on the IL. He should be okay, but he has a fractured skull, and I believe I read that he also has a broken orbital socket. Now, John, I'm going to ask you, before I move into your studs and duds, does something like this mess with the hitter's psyche, knowing that you hit a line drive off a pitcher and broke his skull? That's got to really mess with your mind. It, it, it does. I think it really does mess with your mind as a hitter, too, is stuff when you get hit with the pitch. Like, you worry that when he comes back, if he's going to be able to, you know, come back and hit again. I mean, you saw, was it last year, Harper? Was it a year ago or two years ago? Harper got hit in the face with a pitch. And, you know, he was able to come back and hit like nothing ever happened. But, like, that can really, really screw with, a, you know, a pitcher's and batter's psyche, both of them. What about you, Ben? What do you think? Does getting does hitting a pitcher with a line drive mess with the hitter as much as one would think it does mentally? I don't think so personally. I think, you know, look, I as someone who in high school did it, it doesn't doesn't mess with you so much because you know you're not trying to do it. You know, there have been times where you've hit a line drive up the middle and it's been caught. And your first thought is, oh, not, thank God he caught it so he didn't get hurt. It's, damn, he caught it. I'm now out. <laughs> right? Like, you hit the ball yeah. hard. You know, yeah. it's not, it doesn't really mess with you so much. I think it messes with you more if you're a pitcher and you hit a batter when you go up and in with a fastball. I think that messes with you a little bit more. Um, now, in terms of it as a hitter, I think, yeah, you know, you feel bad, but you know, you weren't trying to do it. Everybody knows, you know, as a pitcher, you're more accurate throwing the ball than as a hitter, you are hitting the ball. Very few people can direct where you are going with the ball. Now I am just going to jump right into my stud and dud. And my stud is Harrison Bader with the Yankees. Since coming back from injury, he has been great an absolute spark plug for this team. Nine for 25 this past week. That's a 360 average, two home runs, six RBIs, also adding two walks and a hit by pitch, only striking out twice. Great week for Harrison Bader. A big reason why the Yankees have been back on the rise, winning uh, seven of their past 10 games coming into today's game. So not counting today's game against the Rays, but you know, for the Yankees, Harrison Bader has been a great spark plug and why they've been having some success. My dud, 
it's Alec Manoa. And Corey, you and I were talking off air before the pod. Maybe he's just not good anymore. This guy got absolutely rocked by the Phillies. Four and two third innings, only three earned runs, but four walks, only striking out one batter, allowed four hits on top of that, took the loss in the game. And, I mean, this guy just can't seem to put together good starts. This is a guy who I picked to win the Cy Young in the American League. And he's had two starts that were quality. One of them was a loss to the Yankees. So, really, what are we getting out of Alec Manoa right now? It has been putrid. He has been horrible. Definitely need more out of the guy who was supposed to be the ace of the Toronto staff. And what you can argue is the one thing they're missing out there in Toronto right now. I think if you want to blame his poor performance on something, I would say the pitch clock. Because I I was seeing stuff with the stats, what they're talking about, like pitch pacing. And it seems with a lot of the heavier set guys pitching that it's affecting them more than it is the other pitchers. So I think he's still good. I just think he's just, I think it's the pitch clock that's, you know, maybe gassing him out early. Now, John, who do you have as your stud and dud? Uh, My stud for this week is going to be Yandy Diaz. He has eight hits, six RBIs, and a grand slam and four walks, and he's batting 276. I think, you know, just because he hit the Grand Slam, especially since he's my uh, fantasy guy, you know, I think deserves a spot in the stud. I think there were some other players that could have, you know, took a spot, but, you know, you don't see people hitting Grand Slams much anymore, but it seems like there's a lot more Grand Slams hit this year than there has been other years. And my dud is going to be Ozzy Albies. He was, I think, my stud a couple weeks ago, but this week he's just been horrendous. Only four hits, one RBI, bat in 143. I think he hit a home run today as of uh, the day we're recording, but, you know, just still not a great week for him considering, you know, what he's done in the past. Now, let me ask you both something. Ozzy Albee and his Braves, they're doing pretty well. Maybe not Albee specifically, but the Braves in general. Could you guys see the Braves overtaking the race as our number one team in our rankings and just the general perception of teams? Because the Rays seem to have been having a lock and a locked-on stranglehold on that number one spot. What do the Braves need to do, and could they do it to surpass the Rays? I think, yes, they definitely can. And for me personally, look, with my rankings, it's not what you've done as a whole more as what have you done for me lately. That's why they're weekly rankings, right? So I've been doing like things more along the lines of why certain teams are in certain spots. And you'll hear me allude to that later on with another team as well. When you ask me about it, Corey, but when you look at this Atlanta Braves team, they certainly are right there with Tampa Bay. I wouldn't say Tampa Bay is worlds better than Atlanta, but Tampa Bay has the better record and Atlanta lost three in a row. So what are we going to do? Are we just going to go and put Atlanta ahead of Tampa Bay? No, because they've both been playing mediocre at times. But overall, Tampa Bay has been better. It doesn't mean Atlanta can't overtake them. If Atlanta goes on a heater and wins six games next week and Tampa Bay wins four, I wouldn't be surprised if myself and the, along with a few others go and put Atlanta in that number one spot because we've seen some mediocre play over the past couple weeks from Tampa Bay and thinking maybe the actual talent on this Tampa Bay roster might be catching up. I agree that the Braves aren't at a much 
different spot than the Rays. I just think that the perception is that the Rays are just the best team in baseball. And I'm not sure if there's anything the Braves can do to to write it to get to that number one spot other than the Rays go on a bigger losing streak than even that they're on right now. I think for the Braves to take like take over the number one spot in our rankings against like over the Rays, I think it's more so not what the Braves have to do, but kind of like what Corey was saying, like kind of like what the Rays just don't have to do. You know, like if the, the Rays just have to start losing games and, you know, Braves just keep it up. And I think that's how they're going to surpass them. But I would also, I think we should also keep an eye out on the Orioles because I think they've been playing really good. And they're like only, I think, three games behind the Rays now, I think, for first in the AL East. So, I mean, I think I think it wouldn't be a far-fetched thing to say and the Orioles might pass them soon, too. Now, I got some questions to ask you guys, and I want to start it off with opening it up to some Mets discussion Ben, let us know what's going on in the the Mets world. What's up in Queens? Look, I think when you look at the Mets, there are two different routes you can go. And you can say, did they just overachieve for the first five months of the season last year? And what we saw in September in the playoffs is really what they were. Were they burned out last year? And are they really trying to put themselves in reserve and try to kick things into gear more towards Memorial day weekend. And at the beginning of June, more like a brave style comeback kind of surge through the summer kind of thing. I don't think that that's the case. I think this team is clearly going out and trying to win games, but the talent just isn't there. The pitching isn't there. The offense outside of Pete Alonso isn't there. And even Pete Alonso hasn't been, on fire as of late that's why they're losing games the Mets cannot win a series for their life their schedule in May was not bad and if you think they are going to surge through the summer well they better play some great baseball because the schedule does not lighten up one bit I I truly don't know what to make of the Mets I think a big part of that though is Max Scherzer now we discussed it last week Ben we didn't you weren't on so we didn't get your thoughts on it but is Max Scherzer washed, and is he a cheater? Because he hasn't really been right since that whole sticky stuff scandal happened. I know personally how I feel, but let me hear your thoughts first. No, I don't. I don't think he's a cheater. I think that it's been made very clear that you know what was going on in that situation. He got his suspension, even though maybe with more of the details that come out maybe he should be i think he's been vindicated i think he really has you know what i think the results that we're seeing are stemming from the fact that he is an older pitcher and age is catching up you know injuries are there he has said that he is pitching through injuries and quoted in an interview saying i'm just trying not to break that sounds like a guy who is done i do think that max scherzer will no longer be pitching come July. I think he might be done for the year, which in turn might end his career. I think he just might not be able to hold himself together anymore at this point. I think he's breaking down, and I think he's realizing that he might have hung around a year too long. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think Scherzer's a cheater. I think that whole situation was so stupid, and Phil Cuzzy kind of needs to make his way out of baseball, but... I do think Scherzer might be cooked. I think you're right that he might retire if he can't pitch again this year. You kind of saw the writing on the wall. I believe it was that start against Atlanta last year, right before the Padres series in the playoffs. And correct me if I'm wrong about that. 
but that's kind of where his issues came from and kind of the writing on the wall. Ben, I also want to ask you about your top 10 rankings. You had Seattle as your number 10 team. You're the only one to have Seattle in your top 10. What was your thought process behind Seattle? Look, Seattle, and like I was alluding to before, there aren't a lot of great teams that are locks in the top 10. So there's going to be movement. Which t- What are you doing for me right now? Not what have you done as a whole. What are you doing for me right now? And the Seattle team, they're right back in contention. Since the beginning of May, they are 8-3, and three, not counting today. I know last I saw uh, they were losing to the Tigers. But this is a Seattle team that is good. We're seeing the offense come to life. They're really making things happen. And look, I have faith in this team. We talked about their pitching staff. We like what we see. We like what the offense brings. I know that their record may not be great. And I know that April wasn't great for them. And Texas has been great. But Seattle is definitely a team that we all still consider as a playoff team. And if you're a playoff team, that means you're a top 10 team. Fair enough. I mean, you're not wrong. Not at all. But, John, let's move on over to the city of brotherly love. What's going on in Philly land right now? You know, last week when they, you know, a couple weeks ago when they were playing the Dodgers, they looked just a complete mess. I mean, like getting pretty much almost blown out, like, you know, double digits scored in like I think two of the games and stuff but I think you know recently now you have Harper coming back he looks like he's starting to hit again you know Suarez I think just pitched last night didn't pitch too bad for you know his first start this season and it looks like they're starting to figure you know stuff out again so I mean they won you know five of their they're you know they're on a five game win streak looks like they might I don't know how the game game right now not isn't going too well right now so I mean but I think they're still you know, time left for them to bring it back. But I think they're starting to figure stuff out, but there's still a lot of problems, you know, that they need to kind of sort through now. I think a big problem is the, the pitching. Yeah, and I, I want to know also, sticking with the Phillies, you had them at 10. You're the only one to put the Phillies in your top 10. What was your thought process behind including them in your top 10? And also, why would what's the thought process behind adding a team that has a negative 22 run differential. They're the only team to receive a vote with a negative run differential. And again, the top tens are personal. They're all how you perceive the league. I just want to know your thought process behind how you're determining that. So, I mean, first off, I think I'm a little biased, you know, because I'm a Phillies fan. So, you know, I might think they're a little better than, you know, you know, the, you know, other people in the league, but, you know, like I said, they're on a five game win streak, you know, they're second in, I think they're second in the NL East right now, you know, they're starting to figure it out and stuff. And, you know, these are weekly rankings and I thought, you know, they had a pretty good week and stuff. And, you know, we were kind of talking about them maybe being a top 10 team, you know, a few weeks back. And I think, you know, I think it's fair to, you know, kind of, I think they, you know, earned a spot in the top 10 for me now, but, you know, do that negative run differential and that is a problem. But, you know, if you look at, you know, their stats as a team, I mean, like they're, team at batting average is 264 which is you know sixth in the league they have 355 hits in total which is eighth and eighth in the league so you know some good stats there but they're also leaving a lot of runners on base and stuff so you know they average in about like i want to say i think they're averaging about like they're leaving about seven runners on base per game and about like three you know runners in scoring position per game and 
and things. So, I mean, if they can clean that up, I think they can stick around in the top 10 for a while and stuff. Now let's move on to the other New York team, the Yankees. I'm going to open it up for some Yankee talk. The Yankees just finished a four-game set with Tampa Bay. They played seven games against Tampa over the last roughly 10 days, and they went three and four against them, which ultimately, it's not that bad. They split this four-game set two and two, lost last week two out of three, although one of them, they blew a six-run lead, the Yankees. It's just something about, like, I don't think the Yankees are particularly playing well. They do have the eighth-best record in all of baseball somehow, but the Rays do look very, very beatable. They don't look like world beaters, but their record makes them seem that way. Now, I want to open it up to you guys. How are, How is your perception of the Yankees? They did, They got Judge back. We talked about Beta earlier. Anthony Volpe's looking like a possible Rookie of the Year candidate. Is the, Are the Yankees good? Are the Yankees bad? What are they? And also... The AL East, you have all five teams getting votes this year, this week in our rankings. Is the AL East the best division in baseball? Because it seems that way to me. And what makes it so good? Are all these teams really that good? Or are the numbers inflated by them beating up on themselves? I mean, the numbers wouldn't be inflated by them beating up on themselves. If anything, they would be deflated. So I think it's very clear that the AL East is the best division in baseball. I think you just have good teams, and it's stemming from last year. It's with Baltimore and Toronto taking those next steps and becoming good ball clubs. Toronto's sake becoming a playoff team last year. Baltimore's sake trying to become a playoff team this year. Tampa Bay not taking that step back and staying consistently good. Boston, despite losing talent, still competing. And then, look, the Yankees, yes, they are good. They have talent. Do not look at this Yankees team and what they've done and say they aren't good. Yes, this is a good baseball team. Uh, I think the Yankees are a good team. I think it's just the unfortunate result that people think they're bad because of, you know, because they're in such a good division in the AL East. And I think, you know, by comparison, they look bad compared to some of the other teams who are just playing really, really good lately. But I think the Yankees are still, I think they're still a good team. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough for me looking on the inside out because I see them every day. And it's just, it's a struggle to watch them at times because it's just so bad, the strikeouts the untimely hitting, the lack of pitching depth, the bullpen, who is actually very good, just getting overused. Now, before we get into our series highlights, I want you guys to give me a quick thoughts on the Pirates. Are they done? Is the magical run over? Uh, Yeah, I think the Pirates have come back down to earth. One hot streak is not going to carry you through a 162-game season. Sorry, Pittsburgh. It was fun, but look, it's catching up. Your time will come. It's not now. I, I think the Pirates are probably going to be done for the, the year. You know, they had it, you know, went on the hot streak. It was, you know, kind of, you know, a fun time. I think they might be able to go on another one soon, but I just, I don't think they can actually keep it up for a whole year and make the playoffs. Now we're going to get into our weekly series highlights for me, Atlanta at Texas. It's going to be a real sh- it's going to really show what the Rangers are made out of if they're able to compete with the best teams in the league or if they're just a product of a weak division. What do you guys have? 
I have Minnesota at the Los Angeles Dodgers to open this week up. I think it'll be exciting. A couple of first place teams should be a good matchup to start the week off. I have the Orioles at the Blue Jays Friday. I mean, you got two really good teams going against each other. Should be a good game, you know, second and third in the AL East to see if the Orioles can pull closer to the Rays. All right, but that'll do it here. This has been an episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Outsidersports.net for the articles and rankings. Twitter, Outsider Sports 3. YouTube and TikTok, search Outsider Sports. Thanks for listening and tune in next week.